Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. All right, so Psalm 23, verse 1. And I got the words for you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. God, we thank you for this amazing passage that you've given us, this this meat of your word, God, that you've given to comfort us, to lead us, to guide us. And Lord, I just pray as we dig into this series, Lord, that these words will get deep in our heart, Lord, that you will peel back the veil of our understanding, Lord, that we would be able to be a people that understand your word, that get your word. Lord, I pray that we'll all be theologians of this passage of scripture and get it deep in us, Lord, so it affects our life. In Jesus' name, give your neighbor a high five and be seated. Make a little racket that'll help me out. So, in, yeah, in order to better understand this passage, one of the things that will help us in understanding it is understanding its author, right? Now, we talk about the author, yeah, God wrote it, absolutely, but God, how many know that God uses people always to accomplish his, his, pur- accomplish his purposes? So God used this man named, named David to write most of the Psalms, and especially this Psalm, and, and the way that David's story starts off, that God was looking throughout the whole earth for a king. Now, there was a king, the people asked for a king, God gave him a king, he wasn't a very good king, his name was Saul, and uh, God was looking to replace Saul because he was wicked, and it said this that the Lord was looking through the whole earth. It says this in 1 Samuel chapter 13. It says that God was looking for a king, someone that would rule his people who had a heart that was after his heart. He wanted a nation that was after his heart. So he looked for a leader that was after his heart to establish that leader in there. And so when we meet David, it's long before he's slaying giants. Come on, it's long before he's leading armies or writing tons of songs. I believe he was writing some songs during those times, way before he was governing nations. God, But God didn't find him in a monastery. Come on. God didn't find him in a library, and he didn't find him in a seminary. He found him in a field looking over sheep. And so when God discovers this man after his own heart, what was he doing? He was doing something that God does. He was shepherding. And if you look throughout scripture and you look through the great leaders in scripture, you look at Abraham, you look at his, his boys, Isaac and Jacob, you look at David, you look at Paul calls himself the shepherd, Jesus, the great shepherd. You look at all the great leaders throughout the scriptures, Moses, they were all shepherds at one point in their life. Why? Because they had to learn the heart of God. And there's nothing that shows us the heart of God, like looking over those who need care. So God didn't find him in a seminary or a library or a monastery. He found him on the plains shepherding sheep. And so David was well credentialed to write this psalm. 
He was well credentialed. And because uh, David understood, right? As a shepherd, he understood shepherding. Even though he was a, a boy, a teenage boy when he was shepherding, and many times the youngest, they would kind of get that job, right? David understood shepherding, and, and they understood that it was, it was humbling work. You know, it wasn't like at the top of the food chain. It'd be kind of like working at McDonald's or, or better yet, it'd be like those guys that come to our house every Tuesday and Friday morning to pick up the trash. It was a humbling job, but it was honorable. It was honorable because it was critical to society. It was crucial to ancient civilizations. And sh- listen, shepherding wasn't easy work. Even though they, they sent the boys out to do it, it was hard work. So why do you think the last one got to go pick it? Or didn't get to pick it. The last child was sewn into it. Why? Because it was hard work. Nobody else wanted to do it. It took diligence. It took a watchful eye. You stink. Come on. You smell like sheep. You smell like poop. You're dirty. You're, you could be out there for weeks at a time. It involved gathering and tending sheep, feeding them and watering them and tending to, to diseases. You had to kind of, kind of be a, uh, have a minor in veterinarian care. You had to take care of these pests that would, that would bug the sheep. It involved protecting. You had to protect the flock. It was dangerous. Come on, you had to protect against wolves and, and lions and thieves. People would come and try to steal thieves. So as a, as a shepherd, even a, even a young boy like David was, he had to be skilled somewhat. And we see this later, right? With a slingshot. And he had to be skilled with a, with a rod to be able to defend his sheep. And it involved the greatest thing was leading those sheep because actually the shepherd didn't feed the sheep. The shepherd actually just led the sheep to the place where they could feed themselves. Oh, so it involves leading by the way. You don't, you don't drive sheep. You lead sheep. You drive cattle. Now, how many know God, God isn't a driver. He's not a cattle driver. He's a shepherd. He's a leader. He's, he tenderly leads you. He doesn't lead you in the way that's barking orders and get over here. Yeah, some, some cosmic cowboy, you know. No, he leads gently because he knows the nature of sheep. And see, David understood sheep. Y'all all right? It would be a good thing to understand sheep, right? If you're a shepherd, <laughs> it would be pretty good to understand the product that you're working with and, uh, you know, that you're able to, to, to be well skilled at the craft that you're doing. So you would need to understand sheep. David understood sheep because he lived with sheep for a large portion of his life. And he understood that sheep are productive and valuable. In fact, in ancient Israel at that time, one of the greatest resources on the land were sheep. Everything on a sheep could be used. When a sheep dies, you could use their, their fat. You could, use, you could eat their meat. Every part of the sheep could be used. They would use horns from sheep to, to, to make horns, to like blowing horns. They would use everything on the sheep. They would use their hooves. They would use their meat, their milk, their wool. Their wool was always producing. This is part of the reason why sheep were so productive. Many of the things that were made uh, in those days were made out of wool. They weren't made out of cotton like mostly what we use, but everything was made out of wool in those days. Uh, Everything. uh, Another thing is they were the primary animal used in sacrifices, in worship. So sheep were incredibly valuable. They were productive. However, they had to be managed well. So the job is critical. Y'all okay? Listen, however, even though they were valuable, they could not provide for themselves. Sheep cannot provide for themselves. They don't know where to eat. They don't even know what to eat. They'll eat poisonous weeds. If you don't lead them to the right place, they'll eat something poison. They'll eat anything. 
right? And uh, they'll eat the roots of grass until there's no more grass, and then the grass won't grow in the next season. They'll, 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 they'll have difficulty finding water sources. They cannot provide for themselves. If they do find water, sometimes they'll go up to a, a rushing stream and fall in, drown. They cannot provide for themselves. They cannot protect themselves. Sheep cannot protect themselves, right? They don't have a defense mechanism. I mean, they can bite. They can bang, right? Here comes a line, bang, and run. They're pretty slow, right? They don't they just kind of wobble around, you know? They, they're, 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 not, they're, not, they're not too crafty. They don't stand a chance against predators. Not a chance. I mean, they are easy game for a lion or a wolf. Easy game. They're skittish. Have you ever uh, fed chickens before? You throw food at chickens and they're chicken and they, right? They freak out and they run. That's the way sheep are. You, if you're not careful, if you try to throw something, they freak out. They're super skittish. Why? Because they can't protect themselves. And, And listen, they're prone to wander off. Sheep are so prone to just kind of wander home, kind of home, what's over? They just kind of meh over there. And they get lost easily. Sheep are feeble minded. They're not too smart. Right? They're confused easily. They're, they're, they're very fearful. And part of this is because they don't, they can't defend themselves very well. So, so they're very skittish. They're very feeble-minded, which is, means they're stupid. However, sheep are pretty good at remembering faces. Sheep are pretty good about being familiar with voices. In fact, sheep and goats, one of the differences between sheep and goats, not just the way that they look in their DNA, but one of the differences is goats don't listen well. Goats can't remember voices, but sheep can. And for the most part, sheep, Follow well. But the most critical element that David understood is that sheep need, everybody say need, sheep need shepherds. See, they are incapable of leading themselves. So when David pins this psalm, he understands it because he's led sheep, because he's spent time with sheep. So when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying, I know, I am just like these that I've been leading. I'm pe- sheep are like people. In fact, if you look throughout the scriptures, scripture talks, and it's not an insulting thing. We've kind of made that now when we call people sheep, we use that as an insulting thing. However, God considers it a compliment that we would be easy to influence. Sheep need shepherds. See, the destiny and the well-being, no matter how valuable or how productive a sheep is, it doesn't matter how great of a sheep they are. If they do not have a good, caring, loving shepherd, they are useless. They're still valuable, but they're useless. See, the destiny and the well-being of a sheep is contingent upon the care of his shepherd. It's the only context in which they are useful. It is critical, beloved, that we have good leadership in our life. And it all starts at the top. The Lord is my shepherd. Do we have earthly shepherds? Absolutely. Do we have leaders in our life and people? Yes, absolutely. But David recognized my chief shepherd is the Lord. Now, most people believe that David wrote this psalm near the end of his life when he was ruling. And many believe that when his son, if you know the story, we did a, a series about a year and a half ago about David, that David had a son named Absalom who, who 
broke all loyalty, who turned against his father, who tried to rob David from the kingdom. David didn't try to hold on to the kingdom. He just walked out. David went back to shepherding. And many people believe it was during that time that David began to write this psalm. However, I may submit to you that I believe that this incredible psalm, like many songs that are written today, didn't take place in one setting. I believe this was a life song with David. I believe that when he wrote that first verse of that song, when he wrote the Lord is a shepherd, I think that he probably had this little scroll that he carried around in his shepherd bag. And I believe that he had pulled that out and he would write different portions of different songs. I believe that he pulled out that little two string guitar one night when he was out watching sheep and he was looking up at the, at the, at the cosmos and the sky and all the beautiful stars. And he began to play like an E minor chord on that, on that two string guitar. And it was all out of tune. And probably, we would probably would have thought it sounded terrible. And David just goes, He's looking at his sheep and it stinks and he smells it. He goes, I'm their shepherd, but the Lord, he is my shepherd. And I believe through the rest of David's life, he, he probably pulled out that. He said, man, that would, that would fit really good in this song. It might not fit over here in this song, but I'll write it down. And some of you that, that have listened to stories or you're, you've studied songwriting, you know that great songs are written when they just marinate. And I believe that this is one of those songs. I don't have any proof for that, but I, I believe that that's what happens. So when David says that the Lord is my shepherd, he's not just saying he's the shepherd. He says the Lord is. And when he says the Lord, what is he saying? He's saying Yahweh. He is saying Yahweh is my shepherd, the self-existent, uncreated one, the one that created the heavens and the earth. Get this. He is saying God is so big. And the reason why I think he was at night when he got inspired is because he was looking up and he was seeing all the beauty. He probably saw the Milky Way up there, just beautiful stars all up in the sky in this dark desert. And he starts thinking, man, this is so beautiful. All this, all the glory around me. The Lord that created all that, Yahweh, the uncreated one, the one that creates everything I see. He's the one. He's the one that shepherds me. You know, if you think about our, our solar system and how powerful God is, you think about, think about how intricate they, they tell us, uh, scientists tell us that the universe is ever expanding. Every moment the universe is getting bigger, which tells us that it had a beginning point. Which tells us it had to have a beginner, right? I believe in the Big Bang. I believe God spoke and bang, things began to happen. Yeah. If you have a bang, you got to have a banger. <laughs> and um, from, from, what, from what we can study and learn is that if you would take a baseball and you can just in our solar system, if you take a baseball and compare it to the sun, the sun would be like a 28 foot ball radius of a ball. That wouldn't like you could probably fit in this room. It had to be more square, but you could probably fit it in this room, barely like squeeze it in and hold a baseball in this room. That would be how big just our solar system would be. However, the earth, listen, the earth, compare the earth to just our, uh, Galaxy, which is the Milky Way galaxy, that's the galaxy we're in, right? If you would get a grain of sand and you would draw a one mile radius around that grain of sand, that is how big our galaxy is, the Milky Way. Do we have a picture of that? So this is a picture of part of the Milky Way. And that right there is not our Earth, that is our solar system. So the God that created all of this, David said, he leads me. 
He's my leader. He's not so caught up in his cosmic obligation that he looks down and he sees me. So it's humbling to think that God who created this growing number of trillions of galaxies, because most of the time when you look up and you're like, oh, look at that star, really what you're seeing is a galaxy. And it's not even our galaxy. Our galaxy's kind of small compared to other, other galaxies. And, and we're just blown away in the, about how big and how vast that is. And it's incredible, all that. And it says this in Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 16. It says, everything was created through him and for him. Why did God create all this? It's for him. He wanted to. <laughs> and he does what he wants. And it says this, verse 17, he existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. All creation is made up of these things called atoms, not A-D-A-M, atoms, A-T-O-M-S. Did you know there are more atoms in your body than there is in the universe, than there are stars in the universe? And we've talked about how vast that is, more atoms in your body than stars in the universe. And they've done studies on what holds atoms together, what holds these molecules together. together. And the only thing they could say is they say, well, it looks like sound waves hold that together, which chimes back to Genesis when God spoke. God holds all things together. Then it says this in verse 21. If you skip down there in Colossians chapter one, it says, this includes you. The God that created all for him, for his pleasure, who holds it all together. This includes you. He created you for his pleasure. He wanted you. He created you. You who were once even far away from him. The one that didn't want anything to do with him. He still looked at you and liked you and wanted you and created you. All this is his the vastness, yet he looks at us. And I believe that David was processing this in some kind of way. The uncreated one, the vastness, the bigness of my God, the sovereign of my God looks at me and says, I want to lead you. Beloved, do not take it lightly that the God who created all wants involvement in your life. This is why Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. What's he talking about? He's talking about the lost, the lost sheep, those that have wandered off, those that have fallen into danger. He is coming to seek and to save those that are lost. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 2.25, for you were like sheep going astray. Have you been there? Have you been going astray in your life? Maybe at one point in your life, maybe you're going astray now, but you've now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, Jesus has done everything he can possibly do to lead you. Not just to save you, beloved, listen, that is absolutely critical, to seek and to save that which is lost, absolutely, but not just to save you, but to lead you. Will you get this? So, Jesus, David didn't have this understanding. I believe that he probably had some of an understanding about the Messiah, that Jesus was going to come. This was, this was good Jewish theology. But I don't think he had any idea of the things that Jesus would come and say and prophesy about himself. This is what it says in John chapter 10. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. 
the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way as a thief and a robber. Now, Jesus was talking about all these people that have come before him and said, I'm the Messiah. Okay. And then he's talking about the religious system. All these people are saying they're the ways to God. He's like, listen, they were all thieves. They were all robbers. And then he says this, the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Again, they can familiarize himself with the voice of the shepherd. When he is uh, brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them, like always. Therefore, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Listen, beloved, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pastures. What is Jesus? Well, hold up, Jesus. You're confusing me. I could see why they were confused because he's going, first he's saying, I'm the sheep. And then he's saying, or I'm the shepherd. And then he's saying, I'm the gate. So which is it? Is he the shepherd or is he the gate? The answer is yes. He is the shepherd in the gate. This is a, a sheep pen of ancient Israel. You guys see that? It's a, now sometimes these were built out of, out of, uh, out of wood, but there was a lot of rock in Israel, right? And so they would build oftentimes a pen like this. This is, this is a sheep pen. Sometimes it would be a cave. And so they were out here, listen, sometimes for weeks. And what they would do is they would lead their sheep into this area to protect them from the things, especially at night. During the day, they would go and graze, bah, around. And so they would lead them in there. Now, if you look at the sheep pen, you think, okay, that looks like a pretty sturdy structure, but there's an opening right there, right? And you have, you have a fence in your yard, possibly, and you have a thing on that, right? It's called a gate. How many of y'all know that that doesn't have a gate on it? It just has a gateway. So what would happen is the shepherd would lead his sheep in, and then he would sit right there at that opening all night long. He would sleep at that opening. And he says this later. He says, the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Why is Jesus the only way? Because he's the only one that provided the way. Not because he's mean. It's because he is the only way because he's the only one who provided the way. Do you get this, beloved? It's not that God is mean-spirited. It's just that Jesus is the only one that took upon the iniquity of us all so we could come in to the pen. So so what would happen is he would stay right there. So what is Jesus saying? He said, I'm the shepherd. I am the gate. You got to come in. You got to go through me. And let me say this, beloved, that whenever we are inside of this place, this sheep pen, that nothing comes in and nothing goes out unless it goes through Jesus. And he is a strong, capable shepherd. And there is nothing that has access. Listen, nothing has access when you're in here. When you're in the kingdom, nothing has access in your life unless Jesus allows it. 
Say, oh man, a lot of, a lot of bad stuff's happening. Are you living in the pen? And for his sheep, they love being in the pen. But for strangers, they see the pen as a prison. Because they don't know the shepherd's voice. They don't know the shepherd's heart. They don't know the shepherd. Then he says this in John chapter 10, verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. So he's like, I'm the gate. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. So when we say the Lord is my shepherd, when we declare that, when we read that, what are we saying? What are we saying? The Lord is my shepherd. Yes, we're saying God is so powerful and big and vast and he wants to lead me. But we're saying, first of all, that we have fellowship with him. I know my sheep and they know me. I want to know what God's saying. You can know. You can know the shepherd just as Jesus knew the father. John 15, 15, I call you friends. You know, the, the sheep weren't just like a job. They were, they were the companions of the shepherd. He spent time with them. He, he probably tried to play fetch with them. They probably didn't do too well. They probably got scared of the ball. No, don't hurt me. Beloved, it's not a one-sided relationship. It is a connection. It's an interaction. He didn't come to lead you just so you can think of him and have a theology about him. He came so that you would know him, that you would be familiar with his voice, that you would have fellowship with him. And not once a week on a Sunday, but that you would wake up in fellowship with him, that you would go to bed with fellowship with him, that you would have continual relationship with your shepherd. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So fellowship, but also leadership. Leadership. Some say he's my shepherd, but is he leading you? Because listen, if we ain't following, he ain't leading. If we ain't following, he ain't leading. At least personally, he's not. He is leading, but are you following? Well, Jesus is my savior. Awesome. Are you following him? I came to the Lord when I was 13 years old. Awesome. Are you following him? Because we have a lot of people that have raised their hand, but not many people that have taken up their cross and followed. Not very many. And Jesus isn't calling believers. He's calling followers. It's the, the call isn't just come to me. Yes, that's awesome. That's where it starts. Uh, Neil, Neil brought a great word last week about following. The call is discipleship. The call is fellowship. So don't, don't talk about your relationship with Jesus if you're not willing to follow him. Again, the livelihood of a sheep is contingent upon his ability to follow the shepherd. Why aren't I being productive? Why, why aren't I seeing more fruit in my life? Why are lives around me not being changed through me? Are you following Christianity isn't simply come to me or believe in me. That is, listen, that is a constant in your life. And we focus on the come, we focus on the believe all the time. But beloved, we must focus on the follow. James 1.22, be doers of the word. 
There is a responsibility of the sheep to follow the leading of the shepherd. And let me just say this. He will not always lead you where you want to go. Because you will oftentimes want to wander off. I have oftentimes wanted to wander off. Go eat from a pasture that he wasn't leading me to. Because I could probably eat something poisonous. I've got to entrust myself that he's a good shepherd. And that wherever he is leading me, I've got to be good with that. Not because I trust where we're going, but because I trust the shepherd is good. And he knows better than I can. That he can see further than I can. That he can defend me where I can't defend myself. The enemy would love to lead you astray through deception, discouragement, discontentment, distractions, desolation. You, 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 think, about, you think about Israel. If you, you guys know what Israel looks like, right? It looks like the desert. We see the scriptures. It's all like plush green, right? The Lord is my shepherd. It's all green. You got to look for green grass in Israel. There's not a whole lot of, we were just in El Paso last week. El Paso looks a lot like Israel. There's not a lot of green grass. So you've got to understand that it's like, it's not like New Zealand, right? We're like, yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. And you can just eat anywhere. Now you've got you to know somebody who knows where the good grass is. The good shepherd knows how to find the plush green in any environment. So what's the result? I'm following his leading. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm listening to his voice. You got to listen to follow. So I'm listening. I'm following. I'm in relationship. I'm in connection. Yes, Lord, you've got my willingness. I'll go wherever you want. What is the result of that? The result of that is this. I shall not be in want. We, like, we want the last part without the first part, but you just don't get it. You've got to follow his leading to not be lacking. You got to follow his leading to not be lacking. Well, I, I've been in lack. I, I, I know the word. I know the, but, but are you following his leading? Well, there's a lot of lack in my life. You shall not be in want. I'm so discontent. I'm serving God, but I'm not discontent. You're serving God. Are you following God? Because you can, you can serve God with a heart that's not willing, and you're not following his leading. That's good. John 10, 9. We love this passage, but understand the context. I am the gate, right? We discussed that. Whoever enters through me will be saved, party. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The, and again, coming in and going out is still under the leadership of the shepherd, we thought, oh, gonna go, come and go. Come and go following the shepherd. He's the one that leads you out. You don't want to be out there on your own, silly. Could use another word, but silly's nicer. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Listen, the devil has a plan for your life. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Absolutely. The devil equally has a destructive plan plan for your life. He wants to destroy you because he doesn't want you to experience the non-lacking. He doesn't want you to experience and be in relationship with a good shepherd. He wants to take you out. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So when people oftentimes will blame things that God didn't do on God, how do you know? It tells us right here what devil ministry and Jesus ministry is. Steal, kill, and destroy. Devil ministry 
life and life more abundantly, Jesus' ministry. So-and-so died so God could have more angels in heaven. First of all, people don't become angels when they die. Second of all, God doesn't kill people because he needs angels. Where do we get this weird theology? Not from the Bible. Devil ministry. Cancer. God just, cancer just got them. I guess that was the Lord. You really think, last I checked, seal, kill, and destroy. Death, death, and lack. Devil ministry. Destruction, devil ministry. Jesus, life, life more abundantly. So is God doing it or the devil looking life more abundantly? It's pretty easy. I mean, it's pretty easy. Just look at it. Just look at it. All right. What is Jesus speaking of? He's speaking of the abundance. How many know when you're in abundance, you don't have lack? I shall not want. I am. He's a good shepherd. I give life and life more abundantly. When you have life more abundantly, you don't have want. You do not have lack. That word in the Greek is superabundant. It's not like, an abundant life. Superabundant life. That's a correct theology for that word. Superabundant. Not just, yes, abundant, leftover. Superabundant. That's like going from the red to having like a million dollars in the bank. Superabundant. Now, that doesn't mean things, by the way. Come on. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, life does not consist in the abundance of things. So don't think that, oh, yeah, life and life more abundant. That means there's going to be $4 million in my bank account tomorrow. No, it doesn't. Because life does not consist in the abundance of things. God will provide for you. No doubt about it. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, which David said, or their kids out begging for bread. Paul said it this way, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Not according to your riches and glory. Not according to your job. Not according to your skill set. According to his riches and glory. He's got a lot of riches. A whole lot of glory. And he supplies your need according to that, not according to you. Don't get caught up in the thing. You know, we're afraid to quote this verse sometimes because we're afraid people are going to be like, well, you know, money's of the devil. Well, no, no, money's not of the devil. The love of money is of the devil. But the thing is, is God wants to bless you financially, not so you can just be fat with blessing, but so you can be a blessing to other people because you can't give away what you don't have. So he wants to bless you, even financially, but not so you can have stuff. So you can give stuff. Some of you don't get more stuff because you don't ever give stuff. If you got a stingy heart, then don't, don't expect... That's a workout in your life. Well, I just want more stuff. Why? Because I like it, and I want to be entertained, and I'm bored. You're missing it. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. When he's talking about abundance, we're closing up here. Listen, when he's talking about abundance, he's saying that you will have an overflow in your life, that you'll have life and life more abundantly, that no matter what comes your way, life will still come out of you. No matter how difficult it is, as we read through the psalm, even though you go through the valley of the shadow of death, what happens? You still have life. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, even when life crumbles around you, even when life is unfortunate, there is still sustaining life in you. Life and life to the fullest. Joy when there should be heartache. Or joy in the midst of heartache. Yeah. 
when you're grieving. Joy in the grieving. It's, it's healthy to grieve. You don't need to be healed of grieving, by the way. When you grieve, you don't need to be healed of that. You need to process that and allow the Lord to work through that. Grieving is not a disease. It's a process. And what happens is the good shepherd comes in, and even in the midst when we're grieving or we're struggling, is what the good shepherd does is he comes in and says, you know, I know you're processing this, but let me just be your sustainer. Let me just give you life through this season of your life. And because you're not trusting in what you're going through, you're trusting in me. And so you still are able to sustain and be abund- live in abundance when those things are, y'all okay? In the late 1800s, there was a guy by the name of Horatio uh, Spafford. And he was a successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago. And he had uh, five children. He had a son and, and four daughters. His wife, Anna, lived there in Chicago. Successful lawyer, had all this property. In 1971, he lost, they lost their son. A lot of disease, not, not the medical solutions that we have today. They, they lost their son. And then in 1971, there was a fire that took place in Chicago called the Great Chicago Fire. And in that fire, he lost everything. He lost, he lost his businesses. He lost all these properties that he managed. He still had some practice. He, he still had a source of income, but he almost lost everything the same year that he lost his son. And much of what was left crumbled two years later when there was an economic downturn in 1873. And he just continued to lose things. And so he said, you know what? We need a break. So what we're going to do is we're going to go with this evangelist overseas. The evangelist's name was uh, D.L. Moody. And he said, we're going to go overseas and we're going to go to some meetings. We're going we're gonna to go to England and, and spend some time there. And he's, so he's, they're, they're about to board the ship. And he says, you know what? I need, I need to take care of some things. Some, some things happen with the city because he's trying to rebuild some of his business. So he sent his family, his wife and his four daughters overseas. And then he was going to join them later. And when they're at sea... They get hit by this, essentially, a warship. This is crashed at sea, and, and uh, at that time, it was before the Titanic, it was the, the largest recorded um, catastrophe at sea. The biggest shipwreck took over 200 lives, and in that wreck, he lost his four daughters. And his wife was rescued. There was a, a boat that went by to check it out, and she was, she was there. She survived, and she went on uh, to Paris. And she was in Paris, and she, she sent a telegram to him. And he had actually already received the news that, that just about everybody on board died. And so he receives this telegram. He's, he's about to head overseas and, and just try to continue doing what he's doing. And he receives a telegram from his wife saying that I'm the only one that survived. Of all the family, of all the girls, we've already lost our son. We've just lost our four girls. I'm the one that survived. Will you please come? And so he gets on a ship and he goes to Paris. And when he's on this ship, and there's a lot of traveling by ship in those days, the captain of the ship comes and gets him and says, hey, will you come outside? I want to show you something. And the captain of the ship takes him out to the front of the ship. And he said, this is the area. This is where your, where your girls died. And he was in this moment and he begins to write this song. And this is what he says. He says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows war, 
roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well. It is well with my soul. And we, we sung this hymn for well over a hundred years. And all came from a moment of a guy that lost everything. Why? Because of the abundance of soul that we can have when we are following the leading of our good shepherd. That man, even though I lose everything, it's like a Job story. Even though I lose everything, even though I lose all my property, and even though my bank account, and even my children are gone, I'm still good in here. It is well. It's, it's, it's hard. The, the, the sorrows like sea billows roll, man. It is hard. It is difficult. However, I have good shepherding in my life. I have the good shepherd is leading me. I will be okay. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus makes this statement. I'm not going to read the whole verse. And it says that he saw the people that he is ministering to. He said that he saw them and he had compassion on him. Something welled up and he saw the people and he was broken. And he saw that they were diseased. He saw that they were sick. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why did he have compassion on them? Because they had sickness and disease and sorrow. And yes, that too. But the main reason why he had compassion on this is it says this, is that he saw them as sheep without shepherds. Because he knows that if we are following the good shepherd, if we have good leadership in our life, it doesn't matter the misfortune that happens, the events that surround us, we can still be okay, even though it's not okay. Even though that around me is not okay, I will be okay because he is leading me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in lack. I shall not be in want. 